Hello again. This is another episode where we will not be talking about the worldwide pandemic, but I did want to insert this little intro here just um, because I think it's worth acknowledging. I don't think we can pretend it's not going on. And even though this show is meant to really be timeless and each episode is supposed to outlive the topics within it, um, you know, I don't don't think we can pretend that uh, this is going to go away anytime soon. It will have a huge effect for a long time. And if you are hanging out at home, like I am and like most of us are, I would just recommend spend as much time as you can both learning a new skill. So hopefully I can help with that a little bit here. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about cameras, mostly, so you can learn how to use the camera you have or start dreaming about the camera you might get once factories in China kick back on. But I'd also recommend checking out some great tutorials that are out there. Ripple Training has good stuff if you want to learn Final Cut. I've been looking at Mixing Light, which is a uh, sort of a paywall thing for colorists, like a a website that they got videos and, and different kinds of training. So I've been learning Resolve lately. Obviously, there's infinite great tutorials on YouTube. And um, yeah, I mean, I hope you guys hang in there. Aside from that, make sure to open your windows and get some fresh air as often as you can. If you're in an area that you could go walking for without having any real contact with anybody. I mean, here in Canada, if we go for a walk, there's nobody for (laughs) a kilometer around us. So it's pretty easy to just go and hang out. But I, I realize I'm sure a lot of people... I realize I'm sure a lot of you folks are somewhere that it is not like that. If you're in Europe right now, it's probably hard to really move around. So I just remember to uh, take care of your mental health, take care of yourself. Um, here's a little thing. I I don't know. I, not that I want to you know tell you what to do, but I do see a lot of people posting cute pictures of drinking wine at home and chilling out with a beer. I'm just going to say, don't spend too much time turning your brain off. It's like when you're in school and you go for summer break, and then when you come back, you forget everything that you knew. If you spend the whole time just kicking back and getting, getting trashed at home, uh, you're not going to be in great shape when you come out of it. So personally, I'm trying to set some health goals, trying to you know hit some new uh, push-up records and... Um, just doing, uh, you know, sort of simple exercises, going for runs that I don't usually do. But it's a good opportunity to come up with some of those goals that are important to you, but you never had time for. Well, now you've got you've got the time. And by the way, a little bonus for this episode, there is a video version if you are into that. I don't know why people watch video podcasts, but uh, there is a link, a secret link inside the show notes to a YouTube video of the whole conversation recorded in video. Uh, I'm not going to make that version public, so only you and a select few will be able to see it. But if you want it, it is there for you. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode with Gerald Undone. Well, we're in studio again for the Stallman podcast, which is my favorite way to do it because somebody came to me. It's very helpful. So Gerald Undone, thanks for being here. You're welcome. (laughs) And you came here to do a studio tour, which is already on your channel at the, the point. I mean, we're recording this ahead of time, obviously. Are we pretending we're in the future right uh, now? We are. Okay. So let's not talk about the news because it will be very dated <laughs> by then. Um, but I know you came here, looked around the studio. what do you think? Do you have any uh, thoughts on how could I improve this glorious space that we're in right now? I mean, it's great. I think that, uh, I think you have a really like nice studio in terms of it looks nice. It's laid out nice. It's, you know, you did a good job with it. Well, I was just fishing for compliments, so you can stop there. <laughs> And uh, it's functional, definitely. Like we we played around with your shot a little bit, you know. We lit it and we got behind the camera, and you're everything's great. Obviously, the only two things that I would say are making your job harder for yourself is that you have to set up every time. But mm-hmm. if that's unavoidable, then that's what are you gonna do? But we did talk about how your sound solution could be something you don't have to set up as much if you treated your space because you, right. you do have a, you have a large space. Yeah, and I think that you should. Uh, which you're probably actually hearing right now in the podcast. I mean, if you know what my voice usually sounds like, it's a bit more, less reverby. Right now we're in the big room yeah. because we're also recording a video at the same time. But it's really hard to control in here. We're surrounded by sound blankets and I think it's making not much difference probably. <laughs> but um, yeah, what, what do you think in terms of choosing between controlling like the ceiling, the wall? I mean, obviously everything is ideal. But is like, is any one thing the most important place? Or for example, people like bass traps. When I see MKBHD's studio, he always has 
face traps in the corners? Are those more important than the walls? Is anything more important than anything? What's the least money I can spend <laughs> to make this good? I guess what they would tell you, uh, I'm not, this I'm, This isn't my field of expertise, but I have like talked to a lot of well, people. Well, you did a video about it, so yeah, now you're my but expert. But I had an expert on, right? Oh, right. So uh, usually it'd be that you can target things. So like, for instance, if you say you like play piano or something, right? And you had the piano in this room, you could honestly probably just roll up the keys one at a time and you might hear a key that just sounds wild over in the corner. Right. So then you'd know where it's like resonating and at what frequency that can give you a better idea of a need to deal with bass over there you know i bet there's a tool that does that right there like, is yeah you can put like a speaker right. um you know maybe like float it at a certain height and just let it run through a frequency range and you'll probably have to like run around like a maniac and go to different corners but i did this in my apartment originally a long time ago um, because of that exact reason i play piano at home mm -hmm. and there was like a low d that was it turns out it's really common like with eight foot ceilings there's like a standing wave at like 140 hertz but i could actually go to different spots of the room and some spots you couldn't hear and then other spots it sounded like just so grossly like rumbling in that corner right so i was like i'm gonna put some bass traps in there because that's a low frequency right so if you find out what frequencies are problematic and where they are then you can attack them and that would be more sort of like a precision strike on the sound right but if you have just kind of like, oh, my room's really wet or really big or I have a high ceiling or whatever, and you don't really want to be running around listening to different corners, then well, I put definitely stuff don't, everywhere. I don't want a wet room. So <laughs> <laughs> let's dry this place out. I don't know. Is, I don't know if this will ever be solved, but it's on my mind. Um, what's some more general advice for setting up studios? Like you've started to tour a bunch of other people's spaces, seen what they do. When people are, are setting something up, is there any, I mean, I'm just hitting you with this, but is there like overall advice that like, people often make a common mistake when they're getting started or like things that you did with your space when you got started and you are so glad you fixed it. So not just with sound, but just anything yeah, life. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think sound is always the hardest one because you get a space that looks great and then you're like, it sounds terrible. Right. right? And yeah. that's something everybody's going to have yeah. to tackle. Also for this sound stuff, a really good example now is just what, what watching MKBHD do his new yeah. studio that, that, as it goes, you can hear like earlier on, he tweeted some videos of the empty rooms and you're going to be able to hear it get more. Yeah. Compressed. Oh, also Peter McKinnon was, uh, was showing the exactly. audio. Anytime space. anybody gets a bigger space, yeah. the first thing you're going to find is you have bigger sound problems, right? right? So, yeah. but I mean, aside after, from sound after that, yeah. Um, I think that the walls in terms of what you're going to do with color and paint and something, that's something that I, I didn't bother with painting at first or doing anything with the walls. And it makes a big impact. If you want to have a really kind of like high key or kind of like airy look, uh, paint the walls white and and choose a white that I don't know. I mean, you you could go to like Becky and Chris for this kind of like what type of paint and stuff. That mm -hmm. I'm not. I think I always choose the wrong paints. But uh, we're name dropping pretty good so far. We yeah. got like three three YouTubers in sixty seconds <laughs> because they're all paid paid placements. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like if, if you they're go, actually all teases for your upcoming studio tours. <laughs> true, I'd say yeah, yeah. I think Becky and Chris, whenever they get theirs yeah, finished, yeah. you know, and then I'll go in and tell them, yeah, you got a good sound. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. But they'll have probably the paint thing sorted out. Exactly. Um, soundproof paint. A soundproof paint. Now that's a thing. Mm -hmm. I wish somebody would come mm -hmm. up with that, you know, because then that would be the solution. Uh, but yeah, I mean, choose a color that makes sense to you. So if you want something moody or you want something bright, make a plan there because otherwise you're going to do sound treatment or something else, and then you're going to paint, it's going to be a pain in the butt. So paint is, the color of your walls makes a huge impact. You can tell in here, you have a lot of natural light and you have white walls. Right. You can make this whole place glow if you want, right? Well, and there's other advantages to having white walls of being able to bounce. You know, we have a projector in here. We can watch stuff on the projector. Sure. But yeah, uh, but yeah especially bouncing light and keeping it clean. The, the thing about white to keep in mind is it also isn't cinematically the most beautiful color. So right. like you've added a darker background lately, which looks better. Like it's much more interesting to see some contrast, see how light is shaping the, the wall. And if you just have white, it's hard to make it. It has one look. It's a, there's a flip side of that though. Two things. One, you talk about soft light all the time. And obviously if you have a giant white room, mm -hmm. you could just throw lights up. That's what we do. Like, I mean, yeah. by that, I mean like shoot light. Exactly. Yeah. Like upward. into the corners yeah. and into the ceiling. And yeah. you'll just get kind of like, you'll get it won't be a, a huge light like a key light, but you will get softer kind of little fills and all the little cracks everywhere versus if you have a dark space. If you look at some of my videos before, lately I've thrown like three more lights on because I was getting a little, I was like, okay, maybe we're too moody now, you know. Right. The shadows that I have, like they're black. Like I have like black things in my ears and stuff like that. And I was like, I need to put some more light in there. The other thing that's worth noting if you want to go with a dark wall 
if you do plan on throwing some light on it or some color on it, is that YouTube will destroy that. Yes. Uh, the gradient that naturally occurs if you put a light on, I have a purple wall. If I put a light on it, it goes from like light purple to dark purple, right? I get, think I get like six colors on YouTube of that versus the like, you know, 3,000 that should exist yeah. in real life. So if you want something that will be simpler, again, the, you know, white has its has its place white yeah. or like black maybe or something yeah, yeah. you know no white is the most helpful for being able to shoot i mean in here sometimes we'll just actually we've done this a lot where we just start lighting it we're putting lights up and we're like we want it really soft and airy for this like it's a bright photo and all the lights pointed at the subject never feels soft enough we're like wait what if we put all these modifiers away and blast it in the corner and then we're like oh that's it now we got a whitewash i mean it's shapeless and, and boring like it's it takes away any attention from the light because it is just a wash, but it's instant and kind of always looks good as long as you don't have any color in the room to contaminate it. And depending on who the subject is too, and this, like I shouldn't generalize here, but what I found is that a lot of the female creators that I've talked to prefer less high contrast ratios yeah, across yeah. their skin and stuff like that. So they'll, this is something I would maybe like advise is that keep in mind what kind of like ruggedness you want to shot <laughs> yeah, you know right. what i mean so if, if you're like if you're if you're i'm I'm, I'm gonna go with if you're a guy who you know you sure. think you look cool if, with like a half black shadow on your face yeah. or whatever then sure but if, if you think your wrinkles make you look cool yeah exactly yeah. but i find that you know it's, but if you're doing anything that's like beauty vlogging or anything like that then you don't want to be monkeying around with dark walls and, and moody looks because you're gonna hate it. you'll you'll hate it eventually yeah, yeah, you know totally. and this goes i mean i'm trying to make this also applicable for any photographers out there too like the the white stuff is the for photography hundred percent go white. Don't even consider anything for else. sure. Cause then you can change it in any way you want. Another thing I've been thinking about is we've got this backdrop stand and a whole bunch of paper that we swap in and out. I really feel like I need to get the switchable roles. Like you, so you know how you can have multiple roles. Potato jet has this in the background. Like a three, a three chain system with like yeah, three roles. I didn't realize I could mount that on stands until I just noticed the other day when I took a closer look at it. So, um, you don't have to have it on the wall. You can send it up and just have a few, uh, different which is sitting there interesting because the other advice i suppose that would be something i would suggest based on somebody like me who has a space problem now mm. and you who i would argue doesn't but you are keeping your walls very uh there well, I, was, I was trying to choose a nice <laughs> word to say they're clean you have really yeah, clean right. walls. Oh, okay but if you are looking to make a studio um i think you'll find that you'll have a bunch of stuff that doesn't get used often but you keep mm -hmm. and get that stuff up high and out of the way or something like that if you have a right. small space you know if use you're gonna have to casey neistat your studio and use yeah, all, yeah. every inch that you can because if you plan on accruing stuff over years and stuff like that you're gonna you're gonna run a space i'm in a situation now where it's i have too much stuff but i don't know what to get rid of exactly and it's not like a hoarding problem it's just like for what i do you know another challenge is this is just about buying gear is making the right decisions but like what will actually be valuable what will I keep using in 10 years? You know, I I've referred a few times to when I first got into shooting video, I bought this whole Zacuto uh, shoulder mount kit. Yeah. Like all, all, all the accessories, it's the expensive brand. They're really well-made, but just the shape of shape of cameras changed. You know, I'm not shooting on a 5D Mark II anymore. Um, the way you don't need to put that viewfinder on the, turns out a loop on the back of your LCD isn't how people shoot. Yeah. And um, that was a lot of money and still sitting in my, closet and i don't really know what i'm going to do with it so it's getting rid of those things that you paid good money for but aren't necessarily as desirable anymore um can be frustrating so sometimes it's knowing like hey if i invest a lot in this kind of thing either i'm going to make my money back from it right away because i work enough it's important enough to my daily work that it's just worth it or i will it'll still be valuable and usable in in 10 years so things i've really found were worth spending the money on are like Good cables, I don't know, cable, cables break, uh, good tripods. My, my crappy tripod is the oldest thing I own in this studio. I think that's the case for most people probably. Yeah, totally. Uh, stands, you know, um, get like, that's actually a good example. Looking around the studio, we didn't talk about it in the video, but um, I've got quite a few light stands, which as a photographer, that's totally where you start is like thinner. Usually, you know, they're like hollow black metal yeah, like uh, what is it twenty dollar camera store light stands or totally whatever. yeah or even like these are the these are the manfrotto ones which cost more but they're meant to be portables a bit of a priority and they're not super durable and 
I'm not really going to buy many more of these. I'm only ever going to have a portable kit of that. And everything else in studio, I want to be like big, thick aluminum C-stands. Um, there's some like rolling stand. There's a rolling stand from Impact that's in here that I really like because it's just heavy and it also folds up pretty easily. And It's basically a C-stand with like three fold-down wheels, right? Yeah. yeah. I really like that format. So um, all of those stands are going to outlive the camera store stands that I bought, you know, a few years ago, but they're all kind of falling apart at this point. They're thinner. They break more easily. And, um, yeah, I don't know. What it's other true. Even, examples? even like the cheapest C stand, like if you get like yeah. the, the new, newer ones or whatever on Amazon versus an expensive light stand, if you want to call it that, that I find that the cheaper C stands can do a hell of a lot more and take much more of a beating than. And the you, price differential is not, not that much. Yeah. Cause yeah. an expensive light stand is a hundred something dollars and a cheap C stand is a hundred something dollars. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah so exactly. It's, it's, you might Just well, get the good one. Yeah. Uh, what else do I have around here? That's worth it. Um, okay. So I've also got these foam pads behind us. I just want to criticize them for a second. If you go to B and H and you look for like sound baffling or whatever, you're going to find these sound boards that stick onto mic stands. And a lot of people have bought them. I think Marquez had them in a video. I know uh, Justin had them in a video and he was just on the other day and everybody that puts them up, like they fall apart. So I'm are, just saying, are these, these are these DIY yeah, the ones that you can reach behind you and touch you. Yeah. They're, they were expensive. Oh, okay. 400 bucks for the pair and they're both falling apart. And that's something that you could make quite easily totally. as well. Yeah. That's a bad one. You can get a piece of wood and maybe some spray glue and stick some foam on it. And then you're halfway Well, that's there, what you know? I'm going to have to do to fix them now that they're falling apart anyway. <laughs> so they'll become DIY. And then uh, microphones. Super worth it. You don't necessarily need the best of the best, but you know, uh, we're talking to, to two mics that I like right now, and I can't imagine a day that they won't be useful. Sound blankets are good. Yeah, more sound. useful than foam panel board. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess to to close the loop on those sound panels, this, the blankets look horrible. I'm constantly trying to hide them in shots, whereas I don't mind the panels showing up. But the blankets are what four times as big. More, they're much more absorbent and cover windows with them yeah and they on can the be, floor the ones i got can become a reflector they're black on one side white on the other so they can be a neg or a or a bounce so they could be sound and bounce yeah. simultaneously yeah. and this is the reason i didn't get moving blankets because if you go to home depot you can get things that will have a very similar audio sound right like they will still absorb it because they're just big thick blankets that's does most of the job but they're blue and then all of a sudden and you got to, you got to balance out the blue. Yeah. If it's anywhere <laughs> near you, you've got all this blue bouncing back into you and a uh, kind of worst case scenario. So, um, that goes back to my paint thing. I would be careful <laughs> of the colors you yes. choose if it's going to be in front totally. of you. Cause again, this is something I see a lot of photographers ignore and drives me kind of crazy is when there's just a lot of splashback from either a wall nearby, maybe the most common one is grass, grass yeah. you, you know, just shoot that green under look is not, on. No, it's sick. not good. Yeah. And if you happen to have shot it, because, okay, you can't always necessarily control it. Like, best case scenario, you hopefully lay down something either white or black, depending on the look you're going for, in front of them. Some kind of blanket or just throw a reflector on the ground, something to block that green light from coming back. If you didn't do that, I always paint it out in Photoshop. Like, I just comp, like pull out the green all under the chin there. And, it, yeah, it really makes a world of difference. So especially if you're doing this for work, like you're taking portraits, um, this is getting out of the studio. But. It's much more time consuming though. We've done uh, soccer portraits mm. before where you have to blast through hundreds of yeah. like in leagues and stuff like that. And what did you do? Post. Mm. And that's not uh, <laughs> the, that's not fun. It's, not, a, it's not as fun as it sounds. Luckily I wasn't editing those. My partner Julie was. And uh <laughs> I, I remember multiple times being her saying something to the effect of like, oh, I want to be so done with this, like retouching, you know, because mm -hmm. of, but yeah, we, I don't know. You're also kind of like on the fly all the time and like, maybe it's raining. So you bring everything inside then you got to go back yes. outside. You're not like, oh, I'm going to lay down my blanket to reduce the green. And then you just get in totally. post and you're like, oh, the green, you know? Yeah. But also you probably did a lot of favors for those kids. Cause I'm sure they do. Like there's also people that don't notice that difference. Like they don't re it's, it's true. Th yeah. There's all these things that make images look better that a lot of people don't know. That's why they think it looks better or worse. So you go to all this work and nobody knows that you did it, but they the would. The funny thing about league portraits is that they're so like they're, 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 
their lifetime is short. Like you might put them mm. in a chest forever, right. but they're only going to be on the fridge <laughs> for or whatever week, they're yeah. doing for, for that season. Yeah. And then the next season, your kid looks completely different and then there's a new one to come around. Right. So I think the amount of work that we put into the lifetime of that picture, you know, mm-hmm. it's good maybe, but you got to be proud of what you got to, you got to, you got to be proud of what you do. Right. So put the work in. But. Well, and I'd also say when people are shooting in studio, a lot of the time I see people place subjects unnecessarily close to backdrops where there is a lot of splash. Yeah. Um, you know, and depending on the size of your space, like I think in your space, you, you are the distances you have to be. Cause that's how wide your room kind of is. Yeah. I mean, I could move it around a little bit here and there, but then it becomes like a flow problem. Right. You know, so. when well, you also get width issues. Cause yep. if you move too far away from the background, then you see the edges and yep. whatever. Um, but I see so many portraits where the default is like, you just walk, the person just walks up to the backdrop and stands almost touching it like yeah. directly in front of it. And you get all of this bounce back from it where it fills the back of their hair starts to turn that color. The shadow is right behind them. So you can tell they're almost leaning against a wall uh, in general, try to pull them out. And you know, the more, the more you can, the better, like when you see extremely high end professional stuff, usually there's a huge amount of distance between the subject and the backdrop and they're being lit separately. And that also gives you the advantage of being able to control that ratio. Yeah. If they're on the backdrop, you can't s- separate them from it, right? The, the same light is having an equal effect on the person and the background. If you can get them at least a couple feet out and you have multiple lights, your key that is on your subject can be doing something different than what's hitting the backdrop. And I think that's a sort of a rookie mistake that happens outside the studio too, where maybe you have an interesting... The, the common one I see all the time in Toronto is that we have like, like a graffiti alley Mm-hmm. which you probably you've probably seen photos i know the alley there. yeah um and i think the the idea is that you lean up against the wall and then you, you take the right. photo of you because it's like look yeah i'm yeah. in this like graffiti alley place but it doesn't look right because mm-hmm. you also get this like harsh light that usually cuts in between the buildings mm-hmm. and so you put this really vivid shadow on the wall as well that has like a perfect outline and if you step away then obviously that softens up because you're adding distance right like um well, in a, in a different way, you you cast the shadow in a stronger way, but it doesn't it doesn't have this like the same size so as it's, you. Yeah. It's not two of you, right? You yeah, know, in a weird yeah. Way. That's like the really weird thing that'll happen yeah. when there's it looks like a Photoshop effect where there's a perfect outline. <laughs> you put drop you. shadow on yes, or whatever, exactly. Right? And, Avoid that. and the details are so sharp, and these graffiti things are so vivid that you capture the same amount of like saturation and contrast of everything on the graffiti as you do on the subject. So you don't know where to look mm-hmm. in the photo. You need to pull it away so that. It gets a little bit not like you still want to know where you are, but it reduces the impact of the background so that you look at this. I mean, I'm basically saying identify the subject of your frame, you know, and make sure that you're showing that. But I do think that that's what happens all the time. It's like, that's a neat background. Stand against it. Exactly. Lean on the statue. Exactly. Don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) You can avoid it. People will know. Oh, is that the Eiffel Tower in the background? You don't need to be like tangled up in the girders or whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. It's true. So, Gerald, you go really in-depth in your channel about video specs and stuff. When you review all these cameras that are coming out right now, what are some of the things that are most important? Like, what's your number one feature that not every camera has but gets you excited in 2020? I guess because I shoot with two completely different systems in terms of what they have, I can see where where it's like, oh, I wish that this would cross over mm-hmm. onto each other. So, I shoot a lot on the Sony everything, like a A6600, A7 III, whatever. And they have similar flaws in terms of what they're missing and then on the other side i have uh like black magic cameras which i think have everything that the sony's missing but are missing all the stuff that the sony excels at right? right so depending i guess on what you do having a higher bit depth is would be nice um to have that was gonna be my first one yeah. 10 bit is missing 10 bit is driving me crazy 10 bit 422 should be the standard yeah. moving forward I how think. much does 422 matter compared to 10 bit in the real world because i've never i'd never compared them side by side as in, like, if you have ten bit four two zero versus eight bit four two two, probably not a lot for the average person. There's some things where it's a clear winner if you do keying stuff, green screen, that kind of thing. It's important. I think the easier way to think about it is that it's it's like color resolution in a sense, right? So if you're doing something where the lines are going to be important, so like with keying, obviously you want that that line, the edge, the edge, yeah. yeah. Then there's a there's a huge impact actually. Some people won't even touch four two zero if they're like serious keyers, right? Right. 
But if you are shooting a complicated shot like this, where everything's kind of just trying to, you know, blend into each other, it's probably not that important. Right. What has really mattered to me a lot lately, and I especially appreciated this in the new Fuji, the, which the first time I'd shot a bunch of video on a Fuji was the X-T4. Yeah. Uh, and I know it was in the X-T3 too. 10-bit, 4K. I loved it because all of my banding problems went away. I know it can still show up in YouTube because compression, whatever, but like, but I want video, my footage to look good. Yeah. You have is fine. It had been killing me with the Sony. I'd been doing some client videos with eight bit Sony cameras, the a seven three great camera. But when I'd get banding in the sky, like in a daylit yeah. bright shot, yeah, I could be at ISO 100. Like everything is ideal here, but my blue sky has these hard lines going through it because of eight bit. And I, I mean, I still get it on, the Canon EOS R, which I'm using more now as my portable camera. But that's a big thing that I notice when I compare it to my, my bigger camera, to my C200. That cleanliness in a gradient is very important to me now. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, because I shoot like 12-bit RAW on my camera and then 8-bit highly compressed. I guess that would be another thing too, is the codec itself. If we want to have 10-bit, 422, 4K, 60p in camera or whatever, we're going to have to deal with h265 tough to edit kind of highly compressed codex right but it would be nice if there was an option to not use that we're like okay <laughs> i'm taking on the, yeah. the the load here of the 400 or 500 megabit per second i'm going to chew up through my cards whatever but just give me options that's that's my that's my answer whenever the fuji is a great example i love the way fuji you did can this. do whatever you want and the menu option is so clear as well when i flip through the different canon options it just has some like little numbers Language that, that like, yes, yeah. exactly. It's like, all it says is the compression method, but it doesn't say how many bits per second. And it doesn't tell, it doesn't tell you anything about it in the Fuji. It was just so obvious, like this many frames per second, this yeah. many. And they give you extra information. You didn't even think when you're choosing, a, when you're choosing a frame rate at the bottom, it'll be like, this is good for this. And if you have right. this with that, that doesn't work. And they're like, Oh, thanks. It just explains everything. Totally. Where with Sony, Usually I have to have, whenever I get a new Sony camera and I'm setting it up, I always have the PDF of the menu up yeah, so I can spend a week look up what turns off when something turns on, you know, just things like that. So options. How much does bit rate play a factor? Have you done direct, I haven't done any direct tests with it. So like if I'm, you know, if it's 50 megabytes, is it bytes or bits? Bytes? Usually bits is the rate. 50 megabits per second compared to 100 compared to 400. Those are some of the different options out there. How important is that compared to some of the other numbers we mentioned? Again, I guess it depends. If you're doing a lot of like, if a lot of motion is being compressed, then you'll appreciate a higher bit rate. If we're talking about just image quality, right. I mean, right? Um, but for the most part, it depends on how well the compression is handled. There can be two 100 megabit per second codecs where one is bad mm -hmm. and one is good. Generally though, the, the better the codec is, the harder your machine has to work to, has to, to work because it, it's right. like so smartly packed that your cpu has to figure out how did they put this in this box mm -hmm, right and mm -hmm. it has to like figure that out image quality generally not huge unless it's a lot of motion you're filming water or something mm -hmm. like that you know or foliage whatever but it, again if it's a talking head scene you're not going to notice a difference it, it comes more now into saving yourself time and post right and a looser codec especially if we can use like mezzanine or inter intermediary codecs like prores dnx whatever those are going to even GoPro Cineform, right? Mm -hmm. Those are going to be way easier to edit, but they take up more space, which is why I advocate often for external recorders. Well, so why didn't we start off a conversation about image quality by saying 8K? Why aren't we talking about K right away? I mean, I know the, this is a setup, but... <laughs> I mean... Because so, this is what most people would be excited about. They're like, image quality, I need to see as many Ks as possible in my next camera. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's we've been talking about this ever since digital cameras for shooting photos were a thing where megapixels, it's always megapixels. It's the new megapixel aren't everything, race. right? Yeah. You know, they've never always been everything. It depends on, there's a lot more factors going on in in a digital image sensor than just how many pixels there are crammed into it. Although, I guess compared to photo cameras, 8K isn't an insane amount of megapixels yeah. compared to what we're seeing now on the high, high, high count cameras. But I think the answer would just be that it's how the image is, processed and handled more so than how much like lines of resolution that it has but there's definitely benefits to having more resolution when you need it but we've seen i no names but i've seen some cameras that come up that are pushing like look at what we can do we've got 4k this and 6k that and 8k that and when you look at it you go your 4k looks like 1080 <laughs> right. and your 8k looks like bad 4k mm -hmm. so there's some sacrifices being made there so you definitely 
I mean, unless all you're doing is punching in, because when Which a lot of us are a common conversation to say on YouTube now is the pocket 4k versus the pocket 6k. And there's some benefits to the 6k, but it costs more. So for the most part, I would say if you're never going to punch in, then you can probably just get the 4k and it's, and it's fine. You know, like yeah. it is a little bit sharper on the 6k, but what are you doing with your image too? Are you watching it on a phone? Like, is that where it's going? When I see all these cameras, can, I mean, it's not that many, but we've got a Canon, a Canon announcement that there will be an 8K video camera coming out at consumer level. A lot of the people getting the most excited about it when I look at, say, Twitter or the comment sections aren't the people that do a ton of production. I think if you shoot a lot of video, to me, 8K looks like a huge burden. I'm like, my computer can barely handle that. That's a lot of memory cards. It's a lot of hard drives in the end. And for something that nobody can watch in 8K... Uh, so yeah, again, it's like capturing AK could be useful if you're going to punch in that much, if you know, you will use that resolution. And right now, if you don't have a need for that, like on a daily basis, you're like, man, my 4k just isn't enough. I'm always stretching it to the limits and I can see the blur. If you're not already doing that, you don't really need AK. Although interestingly, back to my, you know, pushing mezzanine codex, I wonder if 8k ProRes versus 4k H265 there might be yeah. a machine difference there because right. I, I do think that if your computer's getting its butt kicked, that you should uh, look at changing codecs before other aspects. But I do agree that it's the same with photos, right? You got to look at where's the photo going in the end. Yeah, is it an eight by ten? You know, in a in a glass frame on an angle on your bookshelf or whatever? Then I don't think we need to be worrying about our forty two sure. megapixel or sixty one megapixel A seven R four. When I look at a new camera now, I don't check how many megapixels it is because right. I don't really care. What else we got? There's things like IBIS. Does every camera need IBIS at this point? Yeah, sure, but yeah. it doesn't need to be. I agree. <laughs> when I was monkeying around with the XT four video, I I did like a shaky hand vlog test kind of thing just for fun because mm-hmm. I mean that's you know. There's not many cameras that handle that, so we'll see. Is the X-T4 up to that kind of like gimbal-like kind of thing, right? And it's just no, but n- nobody really is except for like Panasonic and Olympus's like dual system, right? But you do need IBIS for photography because why not? Yeah. Like why be forced of like, I got to shoot at one two hundredth for this lens if you don't need to. You know? I also think you need it for video now, even just for getting a tripod out of the equation because I really know, again, when we talk about the X-T4 a lot here, I really noticed that I could just stand there and it would feel locked off. Like it'd feel like a tripod shot. Agreed. It was stable enough if I'm not moving. And that's a big difference because if I do that right now on my cannons, which aren't stabilized, you can see every, there's yeah. a micro jitter the whole Especially time. Especially the long lens. Yeah. I mean, anything past like 24 <laughs> yeah but i mean when you throw like a portrait lens on there it's impossible it's, yeah. it's surprising yeah yeah and so it, especially if you have the switch because then you if you have one that right. can go on and off you can go off and then put it on you're like oh wow it's significant yeah. it's another really common use is not necessarily gimbal work but like handheld when, it, when i'm shooting for clients a lot of time it's just like handheld in place and i'm just sort of like looking in the scene like you know there's just a little bit of life to the handheld so following a subject as they're speaking which is a small, small amount to follow, but you can see those micro jitters so much more and it cleans a lot of that up. If either your lens or your sensor is stabilized, but so many lenses aren't so. Yeah. And you don't want to be restricted to choosing only the kit lens yeah. because you need that steady shot. You'd rather be able to use your, whatever, your Sigma art lens or something, you exactly, know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I agree. Um, record times. Unlimited. Anything less than that is, is, is ridiculous. Yeah. What are we going to escape it this year? Is this the year that we'll stop seeing? Because I know I'm I sure think, every brand wants to I don't think Sony's going to put in the camera anymore. And I don't think that, and Panasonic doesn't. So what do we got left? We got Fuji, Canon. And has Canon made any strides with their, not yet, no firmware or anything, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we're halfway there. So it wouldn't, your next cameras, guys, mm-hmm. just join the rest of the, the people that are obviously putting more time. Yeah. I would say that if you look at the cameras of what are people doing with them, People shooting video on Panasonic probably more than taking photos, right? Well, right. I mean, okay. The Panasonic photo <laughs> crowd, you're like, but, yeah. you don't know anything about Micro Four Thirds photography and their high resolution <laughs> modes and stuff. And that does work. But um, people that we talk to mm-hmm. that have Panasonic cameras, they shoot video on them, right? right? So yeah. we just got to get it. I never really give you that argument about tariffs and, and oh, it's restricted this and that. Well, put the extra yeah. 100 bucks on the camera. If I'll it's pay it. unlimited record time, yeah, get well, that version. It. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Give know? me the firmware update. For sure. What am I missing? What are some flip screens? Okay, we're at, the, we're at this place where I was really excited about switching from having my Sony 
back flip up screen, which doesn't spin around, right? So you can't see it from the front. It's a pain for vlogging. Great for photos, though. Yeah. But when I switched to my Canon, I was like, this is, this is what I want. I want a full flip screen and articulating a screen because, of course, you do vlogging. I realized there are downsides to it. And neither one is a clear win at this point. And it really depends what you're doing. The whole reason is because when you look down uh, and a screen flips out to the side, you're off axis from it. So you're not really connected to what the camera is doing in the same way. And I started to miss that a lot for my Sony. So that means that's when you're operating from behind the camera. If you are shooting yourself, the full flip screen makes a lot more sense. Where, what's your relationship with flippy screens? And Yeah, I'm the same way. I think uh, I was using the GH series from Panasonic and thought the flip out screen is great. And the cameras that don't have it, they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I used Sony cameras that only had the the little flip up kind of thing, which is great for photography. I like getting low or even for video when you're behind the camera, right? Yeah. I like being behind the lens, like directly behind it. But then shooting myself was a pain in the butt. And then I tried the A64, A6600, which has the flip up screen where you can see yourself. I haven't really shot with that yet. That's the best. There's two, Okay, there's only... So moving forward, what do we want to see in 2020? Yeah. You, got, you got two options, camera companies, okay? You can do what the A6600 method where it flips up. So you still get your regular tilty thing behind the lens. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're always directly with the lens. And when you shoot yourself, it's directly above the lens facing you. Some people complain that it means if you put an on-camera shotgun mic that it blocks the screen, but put your mic somewhere else. Right. And, and it's and then you got the best of both worlds. Or if you want to have a chonky monster like the S1H, you can just say, we'll just put everything in there where it flips out like your regular fully articulating and it has a hinge that lets you do the like we'll call it the photography flip up and flip down right, like medium format style but it's a big you gotta you gotta <laughs> build like a double hinge in there and right. it takes up like a full i don't know half inch or something like that but i think you gotta go those are the two best methods to go but having one that you can see yourself is better than not unless you know that you're never going to see yourself then i think that the articulating screen might be a problem where are we at with full frame right now i mean if you look at the cinema world all of a sudden, they discovered full frame in the last year or so. The Alexa LF was is out and is shooting a lot of the major motion pictures we're going to see in the theater soon. And the Canon C500 Mark II, full frame version of what I got. Uh, we've also got the FX9 from Sony. The cinema world is suddenly full frame. Does that make it like I, I've had this feeling that now it's more important than ever to have everything be full frame. But I don't, I don't know. Is it? Or can you still shoot micro four thirds and yeah. the smaller sizes? <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with micro four thirds like in and of itself. And it's fine. You can do whatever you want. But I think that there's sort of a, and I might've contributed this because I made like a video advocating for micro four thirds when everybody was saying it's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not dead in the sense that you can still do whatever you want and it works. But, but full frame is better in almost every way, save for maybe like readouts mm-hmm. where you like sometimes you suffer with more, uh, like jello, you know, with your uh, rolling shutter and that kind of thing. Yeah. And also, probably image stabilization is uh, sensor stabilization. Apparently is not. Harder. Again, if we reference Panasonic, okay, the right. S1 and S1H are better stabilized hmm. than smaller sensors from competition. So I haven't shot it yet. So that's cool. Apparently, it's yeah. possible to still have your like amazing six and a half stops on a full frame camera. Mm-hmm. But those cameras do read out slower than some other ones that I've seen. And a cine camera is obviously the way to go. Like they've got some with like global shutters, right? So where there's just no delay at all, you're not going to see any rolling shutter. So aside from that, full frame is always better. There's some arguments about like, well, maybe I want to have a certain exposure but have more depth of field. But that can be compensated for in full frame by just stopping down and jacking up your ISO and it will be the same level of noise as... So there's nothing that it, that you can't do with full frame. So yes. You're just losing options. You're just losing options. So I need a C500 Mark II is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. This is, I was just trying to talk you into justifying it for <laughs> me. But but as you know, you can get the job done. With, yeah, course, in this case, it's Super 35. Of course you can get the job done. Yeah. Or else we wouldn't have any movies or anything. Yeah, we like got the job done before digital. Exactly. So, <laughs> so there's there's nothing wrong with the other ones. It's just that if you had the if somebody was like, I can put a full frame sensor in here and it'll have a fast readout and we can have stabilization and everything, you'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll do it. Of course, you know, you wouldn't be like, well, what if I'm shooting macro and I want double the depth of field? Well, it's like, no, that's not going to be a thing. We'll yeah. just stop down, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's the what's the story with Global Shutter? Why do filmmakers care about it so much? And are we ever going to get it on consumer-level cameras? 
I mean, the reason why you care about it is that you're limited in what you can do motion-wise, right? Like, have you ever... You ever but, but what does it even do? I mean, for the people out there that may oh, not so, know. Because, like, it's it's not something I see average people talking about as much as, more, like, seasoned shooters that have struggled with jello shots for a few years. Yeah, so if you don't know what it looks like, I mean, just type in you know, Sony rolling shutter into YouTube right now and then go watch it. Like, well, once you're done watching and listening to this, <laughs> and then take a look at that. And when you see something wish back and forth your your lines bend like if you think of something reading out in order by the time it reads out say the top line of resolution to where it hits the bottom line things are now in a different position because you were panning or something mm-hmm. and sometimes they take you know like a quarter of a second or something but if you're moving quick enough at the quarter of a second something's in a different position at the top than it is at the bottom so you've curved a straight line and that looks weird it's, mm-hmm. it's weird looking and it can be kind of if, especially if you're moving around and if you don't have image stabilization now you've got a frame where everything's moving everything's warping it's nauseating and difficult to look at and so if you have one that doesn't do that then you're not limited in any way by how you can conduct like your movement through the through the shot or have what your subject's doing or or where you place your lines in the middle of a pan or whatever you're only really limited then in by your frame rate, mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, and just something that's an obstacle. Again, something I've noticed between my different systems that the Sony has a rolling shutter, more pronounced problem than, than other cameras or whatever. So I think another thing that at least I'm really fussy about is the input output ports on a camera. Right. First of all, you need to have them all. If you don't have a, at least a mic, mic in, headphone out, some kind of USB port because I like to, I really like to charge over USB-C power delivery. Yeah, now. Not some kind. It's got to be USB-C now. Yeah. I and, am so into USB-C. And if you accept power delivery as well, so I don't have to, oh, I can't use my phone charger. I have to use some other thing. 100%. Accept power delivery. Let me charge it up quick. And then the HDMI, so many times I've heard the argument that the components are, were too tightly packed to use a full-size HDMI. Micro HDMI sucks so bad. <laughs> it it's does. so bad, mm-hmm. right? Full-size HDMI all the way. And then those other three things that we said, and that's all I really care about for ports. And if I can go on a little further with the HDMI thing, um, again, I guess give points to Fuji. I love having all the HDMI options. I want to be able to choose what comes, what goes out of the HDMI, what gets recorded in the camera. I don't want one thing to turn off when the other thing's recording. I want to know if I can put my uh, info display on external and internal or both or one mm-hmm. or the other. I want maximum control over that. Also a tally light on Fuji. We're like, I'm very positive on Fuji, but we can take one away because they took away their audio port, right? The mic jack is gone from the... That was a mistake. I mean, yeah, but at least they included the dongle this time because (laughs) of the previous camera they didn't. They'll get your own dongle. It's like, how about you just put the port on the Mm -hmm. camera? Fuji's great because it gives you maximum customization. And I think that's important for video is that you need to be able to... Because it makes your workflow easier, right? And so with HDMI, that's a big one because if we go to an external recorder... Or maybe it's just a monitor. Or maybe I want to record my screen with, the, like, or maybe I want to make like a director's. I don't know. I want control over what's coming in and out of my ports. I haven't used it yet, but I want all external recorders to start supporting RAW, ProRes, ProRes RAW. Has yeah, the, I mean, yeah, we're I like, early days of that. Right? Yeah, it's but, just getting started, but like, I would love to see more support for that. Even actually, just recording ProRes in general is pretty and nice. And support for uh, ProRes RAW in the NLEs. Yes. Because right. right now I'm not going to use it because it's, I think it's still Final Cut only. I, we need that I, in Premiere. I'm always well. blind. I forget to like, I'm using it so it's everywhere yeah, but exactly. I know it's not. And actually, okay, here's a question that's just to solve some of my own problems. What is the best codec for moving back and forth between Windows and Mac right now? ProRes is fine. Uh, but I can't export it out of a Windows machine. But why? Because I also have a Windows laptop and if I want to generate some files yeah, and right. use them on Mac, what should I be using? Because Apple is dropping support for DV... DNX? DNX. Yeah, to make that question difficult. Can you do Cineform on Apple? I think Cineform support is, like, disappearing. Like, I think... Yeah. I thought GoPro which was is, walking away from it. Which is too bad, because Cineform was excellent, yeah. you know? So... I, that's the thing. I think we're all of a sudden at a point, like, I don't know what... I don't know what's in between them. ProRes is, is great, unless you're... If you're but, finishing, but, yes. but if you're exporting ProRes... Which then, I am. I don't know. I'll ask you offline. <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. There, I don't think there is a magic answer right At now. The moment. A really loose, like all eye something maybe, you know, I don't know. I think the last big one that cameras need to rally around and figure out is color profiles. Again, we're being really hard on Sony, which like, I don't know, maybe it's because we've shot it so much. Sony has too many color profiles. They do. And so, there's, so do a lot of brands though. Yeah. Right. They're, but they're not very, and they're not, 
rational when you look at the names of them. You're like, I don't know what I would use any of these for. And you have to rely on YouTubers. With this color, and you have to change the color gamut with the profile. The fact that people are using HLG so often, that's a bad thing because HLG is not made for shooting. Like it is a... It is a Rec 2020 HDR format, and we're just piggybacking on it because it's because HLG gives people what they want, which is the, the. So what we really need then is this like three profiles kind of, and it doesn't have to be HLG. I say two. You need done mm-hmm. out of camera, which undone, could, <laughs> exactly, and then yeah, medium undone and fully undone. <laughs> uh, essentially, yeah. So like um, something like whatever standard high contrast, and mm-hmm. maybe you can tweak it a little bit. Maybe you like it a little bit milder, and then something that's like a flat. You know, it'd be like Cine 2 on Sony or Eterna on, on uh, and, and then Canon has, do people even use like a flat profile in Canon? Not really. There's not an in-between, but I was about to say, I really like the way Canon does it, that there is full contrast. There's like the photography profiles. That's where you get two from, and your, your log. log or your. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it makes the decision pretty easy and they're both good. You know, like they're both nice profiles. I also think Fuji does it well. You know, there's more like three because you could do any of the photo profiles yeah. or a Eternal. Or F log. Yeah, exactly. And Blackmagic, they have uh, film, which is log, right? And then they have extended video, which would be like Cine or Eterna or whatever. And then they have video, which right. is like, that's your standard full contrast one. So three max, you can get away with two. Anything more than that is you're complicating things, you know? And don't, I don't want to adjust 14 different fields of each one. You know I want what to I mean? adjust none. Yeah, it's like, that's your film profile. Yeah. Cool. Deal with the rest in post. Exactly. Deal with the post. Yeah. I don't think people agree with us entirely on that, though. I think a lot of people want to have a more, get most things done in camera. But we both agree that it's like, give me my my maximum Mm -hmm. and then we'll take it in post and I'll figure it out from there. You know, transform it and do whatever we want to do. So another not so clear win has been touch controls. Uh, I've been experiencing a lot of this switching to the EOS R, which, you know, I was using the, the Sony. I turned off the touchscreen because I didn't like the way it felt like that. It wasn't responsive in the, I don't know. Yeah. You can only drag. Yeah. It's, it's just, a dragger. It's, no... I just like didn't, it didn't work the way I expected. So I didn't use it. Now that I'm onto the Canons, I prefer the touchscreen, but they rely on it way too much. And it means that there's a lot of situations where you can't get where you want fast enough, or I find more accidental inputs. I also found that on the Fuji. Uh, I can't, we, we ski and shoot videos while we ski. I can't operate the camera properly. Right. And I just, I mean, I actually just saw uh, Donna tweeted this and it was like the opposite. I'm trying to get as many YouTuber names as we can into the, uh, he was like, uh, you predominantly know, t- Canadian. Too, <laughs> yeah, <I think>. exactly. <laughs> uh, support local, support your local Canadian YouTuber. <laughs> um, but he uh, was saying, yeah, like touch controls, or uh, no, wait, which, which control though, is a specific one. Anyway, it's saying the touch controls, touch focus is better than uh, using a physical control. And I'm like, I've been literally thinking the opposite every single day lately. It's inf- like the fact that the EOS R wants you to touch all the time to, to move, even to move your focus point, you can't use a joystick. Yeah. I think is objectively worse. It's wrong. It's yeah. absolutely wrong. We, uh, we were doing a sort of a test that I don't think is going to turn into a video, but we tested using an old, uh, I'm saying old, but it's a 5D Mark III, 7200. No, it was a 7D Mark II because we, we were shooting hockey, so we wanted that extra reach. And, I, and then we compared it to the A6600 with the Sony G Master 7200. And um, just in terms of usability, because with the Sony, it's supposed to be just you just kind of like let it do it and knows what it's doing all the time. And the way that we used to operate the 7D Mark II was you would use a joystick and you would probably use like an expandable spot and follow the action with that, right? And um, not having the joystick on the Sony was a challenge because I think it's superior than, especially that the trackpad method of like you put it to your eye mm-hmm. and then you move the point with the touch screen and then your nose gets in there and stuff. Yeah. I, I'm a joystick all the way. I, Canon has a superior right. version now though on the 1DX Mark III mm-hmm. and I'd love to see that this rolled out everywhere yes. where you're, it's not a joystick, it's an AF on button. Did you feel it? Have you tried yes, it? Yes, it's okay, good. Used it. It's very good. Mm-hmm. It's AF on button that is like a touch sensitive nipple almost where you it, it kind of remind me a little bit of like the old thinkpad red That's button I thought of right away that was in the middle of like the thing yeah. so it's like imagine having that like thinkpad red button that is pimple. also an af on button so your thumb is just in the perfect spot all the time and it, it, the sensitivity Maybe I don't know if you can dial it in but it was tuned just nicely when I <laughs> when I was, that's the only way to go yeah. uh, now that I've seen that well the other thing that'll happen with the touch screen there happens to me, maybe not anybody else in the world, but uh, I have this problem that I'm always jumping to far corners because like your hand brushes by and 
constantly, I'm like, wait, why is the autofocus point in the extreme top left corner, extreme bottom right corner? Because the whole, there's no difference of weighting of like, the camera doesn't know that corners are less important typically. They usually you only want to be in the right. center or towards the center, whereas a joystick, you have to try hard to get into an extreme part of the screen. So, anyway. Have you used much Panasonic stuff? Uh, not for years. I owned one a long time ago, okay. but not. But like 4 no. or 5 yeah, S? No, 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 no. no. Um, they have that whole thing figured out. They have the... Panasonic just kind of have everything on them in terms of like ergo stuff, I find. Mm -hmm. uh, and their menus are great too. And you can touch screen the menus or they have like four different controls. You like, do you like a wheel? Do you like a command dial? Do you like a joystick? And all the things are also buttons and everything. So you can navigate however you want. The touch screen works great. Um, they probably have the best implementation of what a touch screen control situation should be like where you mm -hmm. don't need to use it but if you do need to use it it does exactly what you think it should do and everything that you touch kind of works uh huge like i would give if, if we were making some mega camera <laughs> i would take yeah. that system from them and then throw in canon's uh touch sensitive joystick thing you know uh and then you got yourself and then put Fuji's customization in there, and you got yourself a... a well, who, without making a complete Frankenstein camera, who's <laughs> doing the most things right now? Not This isn't like, what's your favorite yeah. camera, but just like, who is on the path that will become the, the future of cameras? Fuji's doing the most things right, but the, they have that issue where it's kind of like, my video like thesis was basically the jack of all trades, but they don't really win like i said jack of all trades master of some because mm -hmm. some people think the fuji colors is the best way to go or they like the turn like the turn is the best one or whatever yeah. I, or, I mean i definitely think i'll just say it fuji color is as good as canon it's different but it's very very easy to work with it's good yeah again that's what i mean by goodness it's not you can get color out of all of these it's just quick and simple to make it look pleasing to a lot of people so fuji's probably doing the most things right but the problem with them is that they don't master things to the point where you might buy a whole system for a feature. Mm. It's like for me right now, I say that if you if your autofocus is so important to you, then Sony is the clear winner if you're shooting like these days, if you're shooting sports or something, mm. you gotta go into Sony system. It's cheaper and better uh compared to the giant cameras from the comp competitors, right? Glass, I guess, is more expensive, but whatever. Um if you're shooting video where you want like the best eye detection kind of just pointed at something. I, I still think that Sony's over. So it's like, if you're buying autofocus, then you can buy Sony. If you're buying, you know, the S1H for all the crazy thing, you know, then you're buying that. Like Fuji doesn't have those kinds of clear wins in one specific vertical, let's say. But if, I guess like if you need a more rounded camera, maybe that's the answer you I, know i'm really hot on fuji right now yeah. i like it they've been doing a good job canon i think is trying to get there again because they were doing things where they would have huge disparities between what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong where that wrong thing might be a deal breaker right. for somebody you know but that the list of features on the one dx3 which i haven't shot with yet wait am i saying the right number yes one dx3 yeah. it's got everything in it is amazing but it's like what, we're what, talking about a monster like dslr i, I know but they camera. weren't getting it all right in the last one dx in terms of the list of features was like not quite is like eh, he still left a few yeah things the argument to be made though would be should i get a three from a two and i think people are struggling with that because it's not it's like why would i want to get another two, like a two plus in a sense you know even though the two plus which is the three is they got it right now yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean but but yeah like i think people would rather see an r to or whatever <laughs> yeah, you know that, that has all the yeah. the one dx mark because the r5 or whatever they're talking about seems like it's going in a, in a heavy direction one way mm -hmm. or i think people would be happy with a professional r exactly you yeah. know i mean I, there's also r6 rumor i don't know yeah. rumors are boring but right you know, yeah. i don't know we'll see i think i think this is going to be the better cameras get the harder it is to talk about them because they're all so good there's so many good cameras right that's now. that's true yeah we're it could somebody could easily be listening to us right now and be like, "These guys don't know about my day, whatever you know what I mean." Because totally. it's true, cameras like, are everything's amazing. Yeah, we're trying to choose which one <laughs> is the most, the amazing. most amazing. And the answer is none yeah. of them. Yeah, they're all good, and none of them are perfect. And you can't really go wrong if you're just trying to get some images. Yeah, you can do it pretty much you're everywhere. Into Black Magic right now, though, like you're using them for yourself, kind of often. Yeah. Um, are they on the right track? I mean, I, and I also feeling in terms of editing software, like I edit Final Cut, you edit Premiere. 
but I think Resolve is coming Actually, apart. I had it Resolve now. I switched. Oh, you switched to yeah, Duo. Okay. I, I, I was at a point where I was saying both, and now I would say that I'm not really touching Premiere that much. Mm-hmm. I picked it back up like a week or two ago to see, just I wanted to see, I'll throw a project in there, yeah. and I was getting annoyed. So, um, yeah, I would say I'm, I'm Resolve now. And Resolve annoys me too from time. They all, every yeah, program annoys lot, everybody, you know. It's a lot of Resolve that is very weird, but it's just so powerful. Like there's so much that happens yeah. in there. So I'm, and, I'm, I, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Resolve guy now. Totally, yeah. But, and their business model is going, that's why they're going to win. Because yeah. now you can't bootleg uh, Adobe stuff like you used to back in our day, which is the reason that we're all on Adobe is because, yeah, we'd all steal Photoshop and Premiere and After Effects and learn it and then buy yeah. it once we had clients. Now you don't need to steal Resolve. You just go download it for yeah. free. And, and, and it doesn't handicap it that much. No, the... it's, I'm still using the free version. Yeah. I haven't paid for it yet, even though I use it for quite a bit. If you to... buy a camera, you get the studio version. Right. So and right go. now, I mean, I know how much Resolve can do in terms of grading. It does a much better job than, than Final Cut does. But I do not like the workflow of round tripping things round tripping yeah. is bad yeah. i don't know how people make it work which, other than which is why i'm glad that resolve is building out i mean they already have it right. just they, now they just got to like refine you know get it where it doesn't feel like it still feels a little beta mm-hmm. at times yeah. and these once they get that and it was really unre- uh unreliable for me like it just crashed nonstop. and you use it on mac yes so yeah, i don't have any experience with that but the I've... app store version turned out to be about half the problem oh, okay once i switched to the website version the worst issues did go away. Interesting. Um, but then also, I mean, I was trying to talk Jesse Driftwood into this and then he was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll grab resolve. And he downloaded. He's like, oh, I can't, I can't launch it. It instantly crashes. I can't even run it. Like, okay, well, resolve's I, not I, for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of like, another that, Canadian, that, you just dropped another Canadian. I, I thought about it before I did. That was not an accident. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I was kind of having that feeling for a little while too of like, man, this is just, crashing all the time and fortunately i was able to get it working a little bit better and actually so that's why i was asking earlier about having a format i can pass back and forth i've got a pretty nice pc laptop with like a nvidia card in it it'd be great to be able to do say my grading on there and pass it off to my mac for the final edit and i could kind of be working in parallel a little bit like you know it's it's uh generating because i pre-grade my raw files and then i edit with like a transformed version um but I don't know what to export it in right now. Cause yeah. like I said, then you want to put it back into your Mac. I want to do the final cut edit. I want to do like my actual yeah. NLE editing on, on a Mac. I mean, there are, but you already said you don't know. So maybe I should stop, I mean, stop yeah, asking. I just want you to give me an answer. If, if you can't export ProRes, and if Mac won't allow you to take in a DNX and if Cineform isn't really working, then you're just going to have to go for a loose acceptable, like, I don't know. But what else is, is there? I well, mean, other than uncompressed. <laughs> so I don't know much about what yeah. Mac's policies or like what Apple's in and out policies are. So I don't want to say something and be wrong about what you can do. Right. But you can use different containers. Obviously, you use like some MFX thing and then MXF container and put like a really sloppy codec in there. And it should be relatively easy to, to edit, you know. I just don't know what you'll accept on the other yeah. end. I'll keep searching that. Which is the reason why I'm a PC guy. Right. Because I don't want to have to... Well, but to... So we're, we're just in a transition phase. Like the reason Mac's doing this, if you don't like follow what's happening over there, this is also all conjecture, but it's obviously true, is because they're going to be moving to ARM processors, they're going to drop, right. you know, the x86... Is that the name of architecture for like <laughs> yeah, Intel? Yeah, yeah they're going to drop the Intel architecture. So my assumption is that they're like, look, if we don't have to deal with these other big professional codecs, and we just push everyone to ProRes, we can optimize to the extreme. So once we get ARM laptops from Apple, they'll be insane with ProRes, but they'll only work with ProRes. Yeah, kind of a single purpose yeah. monster. You know? And they already know that they, you know, they're winning so much with Pro- like ProRes is such a loved format you know people are using it so much that i think they feel like they can force everybody else's hand a little bit and i think they've opened up some of the prores abilities for for windows so i'm hoping resolve will just be able to export prores sometime soon yeah that's the biggest tackle or like that's the biggest hurdle is that the uh you never know what your the nle of choice where it's going to be limited in terms of could be anything from lawsuits to patents or whatever else like with compressed oh, yeah. raw right yeah, yeah, yeah. but to answer the question you asked me originally about what's black magic doing right i think on the camera mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. um some things that i love about shooting black magic is i love that i can use usb-c out to an ssd 
Okay. So, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I record I everything. See, I see everybody with those little clamps for yeah. their T5 drives or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm using. I use a Samsung T5. Your, your bang for bite, if you will, is Amazing. outstanding, yeah. right? And you can get a terabyte for like 200 Canadian or something. And that will let you record three hours of like full there's a bunch of like raw like either you can use like a q a q base or a compression ratio but even if you choose the the, the highest compression or the highest quality uh you can do like three hours on a one terabyte that's another thing i gotta say that's another thing they're getting right is having the compression options like all that flexibility being it does internal prores right or it not does, yeah, yeah it does i mean it. like there's just infinite options and you can record that to an ssd if you want yeah. and I am always wishing I had that. Like it would be so much more useful on every other camera. And I think they're the only ones really giving that much flexibility outside of cinema. Yeah. Cameras. You have to like adapt your cinema camera with like, you know, like CFast yeah. SSD kind of things or whatever. But uh, yeah, they're killing it with that, with the codex and with the, and like we talked about with having the correct amount of options, like three or whatever, you know, <laughs> they've got, they've got that figured out and um, the stuff's easy to edit. I find that the, you know what's just fun too? They they give you this little tool, which is like they call it like their B raw speed test or whatever, and you can run that. It tells you what resolution and frame rate your computer can handle, so that you know like how to compress. I don't know, right? Yeah, uh, cool. But I find it it's pretty smooth. And if not, you've got ProRes there that you can that you can use as well. So with all these cameras we talk about, um, you don't seem to pursue cinema cameras at all. Like you don't talk about them. Yeah. Do you not care? Do you? If they just like you don't want to you'd rather have a but you're reviewing a bunch of cameras instead of like investing all into one big one like what keeps you away from you know c500s and fx9s and reds and i guess it would be two things one my channel i try to talk about things that are maybe more on the like economical side and have multiple functions for me i like finding sort of like hybrid value in things and <laughs> now that we're in like hybrid cameras it makes sense but i love things that either do one thing perfectly and then it's like a no-brainer purchase because then it's easy. You know, I always talk about like a monopod example where it's like that's the monopod that you buy. Or, right. And then that's an easy decision, right? Yeah. But if it's not going to be an easy decision, it's complicated, then I want to know what gives me the most I can out of my money. And generally speaking, if you're somebody who likes to shoot photos, you like to travel, or like to, then the answer isn't going to be a cine camera because, I mean, unless you want to... Travel, yeah. Yeah, travel, photos are both... Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say photos are challenging. Photos are very challenging <laughs> yeah. on the C500 Mark II. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I bet the stills, I'm sure, look fine. Yeah. But, you know. but so, you know, that's probably the reason why I still use Sony so much is that it becomes a very viable photo camera. Right. And then shoots good video as well. So, um, Okay, but if you price, were going to buy yeah. a big camera for yeah. your A-roll, okay. what would you get? So I, I, I'm, I think I'm like a... C500 Mark II, FX9, and I haven't made the decision on that because of the price differential there. Mm-hmm. And also the FX9 is still pumping out some updates that are like, so... It's not quite settled. Like, we don't really know everything yeah, about the camera. But I think that's where I am. Still waiting for Philip Bloom's review before we exactly. decide. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, that, that's that's my, like, my toss-up, my, my two-way kind of choice. It's the toss-up of the year, I mean. Yeah. I wouldn't, go bo- I wouldn't go beyond that. I have no need for an RE or anything like that, you know, and I don't think I would go into the RED uh, ecosystem. I mean, so. things about RED that would kill me is, like, not having internal NDs yeah. would be really frustrating. And I'm not playing that whole RED mag game. Totally, yeah. Either, so. Not having real lot of focus, you know. Proprietary media is, like, a deal-breaker for me right. right out the gate. Yeah. yeah. Although I think, like, RE has their... But no, no, but well, unless the new one's different, but the other ones are just CF, uh, no, it's CF Express. The other one's CFast too. Okay. Uh, so I just mean, I like, didn't Ari always have their like little Ari, uh, like they look like little beta tapes or whatever. Like the oh, old ones in the past, are, maybe. Yeah. In the past. Now they're, now they're so not. So I was going to say not like that had stopped Ari from being right. a thing for yeah. decades is what I meant. But for me now, um, I don't think I would monkey around with proprietary media. That's by the way, that's a lot of why I always talk about Alexa over red is yeah. internal NDs. That's like, it's so huge. Yeah. It's, it's such an inconvenience to add things. And there's no reason to not have that if you're at the price. And that camera's that size. big. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Um, I mean, the new, the LF has scratch audio, which is kind of nice. And a lot of reds don't, yeah. but uh, colors are easy. No, there's something else I just forgot. It's an RE. It looks good. Yeah. The name's pretty cool. I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's always the, the brand that I'm hot on. Oh yeah. And actually the storage. That's, that is the other thing. Right. It's like, I don't like, I, I'm with you on the red make thing. So I accept a lot fewer things missing 
on cine cameras beyond say a certain threshold where i'm okay with that like missing on a hybrid camera like if i if there's like on a hybrid camera it's if i pull it up and there's no mic jack i go okay well that's a deal breaker what are you thinking <laughs> yeah but i will accept no internal nds or something like that or or maybe like no phantom power or whatever mm-hmm. right but if you give me a cine camera that has no internal nds and no way to connect an xlr mic i'd say you can get rid of that. Yeah, you know, totally. I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, and it's funny that even as you spend as much money as you want, like I was watching this uh, video on the area channel the other day and they're mentioning that like, uh, Oh, be careful with the order that you plug in your like SDI and DTAP power uh, because you can short your monitor and your camera and break both of them. If you plug in and unplug them in the wrong order and whatever. Uh, I guess this is a thing that a lot of operators know if they're dealing with it, but I'm like, no matter how much money you spend, there's still problems like that, yeah. which is crazy. Imagine breaking your, like your hundred thousand dollar camera. It is, it is going to hold up to a lot, but it's not indestructible just because you spent a lot of money, unfortunately, yeah. which is weird. But it should be. Yeah, it should be. You always <laughs> imagine it, sh- it should be. So. Especially because you can literally like kick them yeah. and they're fine. Totally, so it's like, yeah. why is it that if I, you know, plug this port in the wrong order, I start a fire. Like it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, any parting words, any parting wisdom? On a particular topic or life. just in general? <laughs> life. Don't let you, I some don't Canadian know. advice. <laughs> so to give some really cheesy meme advice. Um, I would say that uh, here's one that I get asked a lot that comes up, which is that there's always so many cameras that are about to come out or have been speculating on the rumor mill. And people ask me, should I get, pick any camera that's out right now. You can be my, give my example. The 5D Mark IV. Yeah. Should I get the 5D Mark IV? Because it's on sale at my local camera store, yeah. or should I wait for the five D Mark V? So maybe maybe we have a bad example, but I, I think it still <laughs> I plays. It still example. plays. Okay, okay, which is that like, well, can you get the job yes. done with the five D Mark IV right now? Then get it because you can't get the job done with a camera that doesn't exist, right. that may never exist, that may change, that may not be what you want, that may cost twice as much as the one. Like, I don't know the answers to any of these things. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to do something today. There's only two. There's only one option of those two cameras, and it's the one that exists. Right. So don't ask me that. There is no. I'll never say wait, unless the thing is you have a full set of gear and you're fine and mm-hmm. you don't need anything. Then yeah, you can wait because what does it matter? But the option when it comes to what should I get, the one that exists or the one that doesn't, get what will get you going. You got to mm-hmm. get started and get making something and get the one that'll get that done. I know? think a lot of people are bad at asking for advice when they reach out to YouTubers anyway. Another good example is like I did a video about the, like, is the Mac, do you need a Mac pro as a creative uh, professional? I think it was the title of my video. It's like, well, don't ask me that. Like, I, I know I decided on the title, but like, you can't ask somebody else that. Cause like, how much money do you make based on the work that you do? Yeah. And how much of it is based on the speed that you're able to export videos at? And do your clients care about any of the, I mean, all of the questions are in your camp as the consumer. Exactly. We don't know. So, all right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.